Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The shark baby has such teeth death. And it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe. And it keeps it uh, out of sight. You know when that shark bites. So welcome everybody to Macklin's Take with me, Andy Clark and Matt Macklin, as always. And this will probably be the last one we put out before Christmas, so we thought we'd have a festive setting. We're in the Holiday Inn in Brentwood, ahead <laughs> of the MTK Golden contract with a Christmas tree in the background and this is an episode we've been looking forward to because our guest has been he's been on the list and kind of booked in for a for a good while because this is a subject uh, a topic which is a rich vein of stories and, and potentially comedy because we've spoken to a few promoters during the course of this Callis Island a few weeks ago Eddie briefly last week we'll hopefully get Eddie Hearn on in more depth but we've always wanted to get into somebody who's had a journey through the smaller halls up towards a, a bigger platform because there are all sorts of things that go on on small hall shows, the organising of them, the behind the scenes. It's fascinating stuff and there's people up and down the country doing a great job of it. Uh, and the man we've recruited today is our good friend Lee Eaton from MTK Global who has done exactly that. That's exactly the kind of journey he's been on. Uh, I first met him a couple of years ago and he's a kind of... He's the kind of fellow you just immediately like because of his enormous enthusiasm. His, we are 80 seconds into this podcast, um, and that's already by far the longest I've ever seen him sit still for. So <laughs> you, you doing this for an hour, Lee, this, this, this will test, your, uh, this will test your, your patience because you're a man of perpetual motion. So I think the best way to start with this really is just fill us in on your, on your boxing journey, on how you got into this crazy business where it all started uh, thanks for having me on um, to be honest it was a bit of a mad one Obviously, I've always been around boxing uh, my best mate was John Wayne Hibbert so he was former Commonwealth champion and that he was uh, I was always at these shows he was promoted by Frank 
for a couple of fights and then obviously with Eddie for a few fights and I was always with him on fight week um, always look, look helping him with his tickets and I was a bit of a boxing geek obviously looking at fights for him just always just always around the game and that and then um, one one fight we was going to go to um, was Tommy Coward in um, in Doncaster and um, about a week before that fight um, I was meant to go with a friend of mine called Ben Adair um, and a week before the fight he fell down the stairs and, and broke his neck and, and died I've obviously quite obviously and I thought and the last conversation we had was about going to Wayne's fight so um, I decided to do something in memory of him and I thought why not do a boxing show so I've done a charity boxing show and um, I've done it for and we sold it out sold a thousand tickets for it and um, raised ten grand for charity um, and then I thought hang on if I can raise ten grand for charity why can't I raise ten grand for myself so I thought oh, I'll do another one um, and I've done another show like I've done a prize fighter like a, an unlicensed prize fighter um, and that and that sold out as well, and I made a nice bit of money on that, and it just went on from there. And I ended up doing about probably about 70, 70 unlicensed shows. But all the way through that, I was obviously going to shows with Wayne. Obviously, I knew people, through, met people through the, the game and stuff like that. Obviously, met Eddie for, and and just all just sort of learning the game sort of thing, and then. Um, one, I think it's the Tommy Martin fight. I think it was January 2016. I um, after the fight, obviously in the bar, I was all having a few beers, and then I bumped into the MTK boys or MGM at the time. Um, chewed their ear off for a couple of hours, talking about boxing and stuff like that, and then it just went on from there really, and um, ended up having a meeting with Anto, and then about November time I had another meeting and that's when we um, started up MTK London and then from there it's just spiralled so those those early shows when you did the first one you maybe thought you probably wouldn't do another one or you had no idea really but what was it about it I mean you were already a boxing fan but what was it about it that kind of really sucked you in and just got into your blood and your bones was it just the the thrill of of, of taking the gamble yeah almost? no do you know what it's just it's an addiction once like box like a fighter just a fighter's addiction he's fighting but with mine once i done a show I was like ah, I, could, I knew where I could improve I was like ah, look I sat down after I looked at it I was like I could do this and then I could do that and then it'll make it better and it's just always bettering yourself My, the aim was when I was doing the unlicensed is making sure every show was better than the last. And that's what I sort of... Um, I sort of used to spend a lot more money on shows than I should have. Like, with, I had used to have all the, light, all the lighting we have for the shows. And I used to have that for the unlicensed. used to have commentary. Just little things, added little things to make it better. And that's why I was, I was probably the big, one of the biggest unlicensed promoters that, around at the time. The shows were selling out all the time, big shows. Um, so... It, I sort of made my mark doing that, and that's why I just I just loved it. I just then fell, fell in love with it. So, I mean, the learning curve must be really, really steep because we were talking about this and, and similar subjects. We've talked about things like this on Macklin's Take loads of times. How, how mad boxing is, and how there's no manual or, or rule book that'll really teach you how to do any of it on the business side. And and I came up with a, a quote I'd heard from. Someone reminded me from, from Donald Rumsfeld, which is that there are three categories of things, in a way, when you're doing something new. Things you know, things you don't know, 
but you know that you don't know them, yeah. so you go and find out about them. Yeah. And then the killer, things you don't even yet know that you don't know. Unknown unknowns. And, yeah, and, in, unknown, and yeah. in that business, there must be loads of those. Yeah, listen, it's, it's, you, always go into, you always go into a show in the unknown, because anything can happen. Like, even little things like last night, that the Mexican didn't get on a plane for George Fox, missed his flight, so... Now, George Fox don't fight. So things like that, it's always the unknown of what can happen on fight week. When Frampton fought um, Guitarist and he slipped in the shower. Like, things like that, it's, it's, just, it's just it's a weird old game, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, with commissions and British Boxing Board as well, there's so many, particularly with medicals and licences, and there's so many things that you probably haven't factored in yeah. that can go wrong. And it's just, like you say, it's... You know, the things that you know that you don't know, you can kind of cater for, you can, you can you know, prepare for it a little yeah, bit. You have, you have your, like, checklists and stuff it, like that, but then medicals and things, like that, it's, it's just unknown. It's the shot you don't see coming yeah. <laughs> that does the damage. Like, yeah. like Lewis Benson at the Golden Contract didn't know until on the, on the weigh-in day that he wasn't fighting. Things like that, we didn't, didn't think that was going to happen. It's just, it's, just it's, a, it's a poxy game sometimes. So in terms of that kind of thing, how, how long does it take you to be able to roll with the punches without totally losing your mind? Because fight day and the, the days leading up to, to a show, they're, they're stressful. Um, I said you're a man of perpetual motion, and you are. You're always on the go. Your phone's always going. You're always want, you know buzzing around here, there, and, and absolutely everywhere. We're talking to Caller about this too. And, and you need to be a particular type of person, I think, to do this without your yeah. blood pressure going through the roof and, and you ending up in hospital, quite frankly. So what, in the early days, it used to really, really affect me. I never used to sleep. or Sometimes I'd just stay awake. I'd end up dreaming about things that gonna, could go wrong and stuff like that. It used to really, really affect me when I was doing like the unlicensed shows and that. You, just, you have to learn to deal with the stress and what could happen. Because if a fighter pulls out, I used to, I'd be like, ah, fuck, do you know what I mean? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Now, you just... I just sit there, look at my phone, and, and go through like little, like my little contacts. Think, how can I sort this? You've got to, you've got to deal with things properly because it, it's, it's the most stressful job in the world. You, you learn to roll with the punches, don't yeah. you? you? You can't control the controllables. There's things that are out. Your, there's no point getting stressed out about no. things that are out of your control. Yeah. And shit happens, yeah. and, and in boxing, in shows, injuries. You know, people get ill. You know, it's not like you can just say playing football and, and one of the kids slips in the hotel yeah. you just put a different player on you know it's yeah. a squad yeah, boxing exactly. that, that boxing, fights off exactly, do you know what I mean yeah. and it's like there's so many things that can go wrong but it's I suppose when you're um, when you're in boxing you're in the business of boxing whether in what capacity manager trainer promoter fighter you learn that you just have to be able to roll with the punches you can't control life shit is gonna happen <laughs> you know and you just gotta you just gotta deal with it yeah, I used to sit at home and admit, right, just stressing, fucking, and Mrs. just goes, look, there's nothing you can do, so why are you stressing about it? But it affects you because you, you become a bit of a perfectionist, you know what I mean? When, when you, everything you want, like, I want to do, I want to do better than any, I can every time. I want to better myself, and it, when things go wrong or a fighter f- f- falls out, say so a fighter's took 10 grand to have tickets, and on the week of the show, a p- falls out, you're 10 grand down, you think... Jesus Christ, well, do you know what I mean? It affects you mentally, but you just got to, like, you got to just roll with it, and you know, you just got to make the best of a bad situation. I remember uh, a show we worked on 
last year or, or the year before. It might have been last September-ish, something like that, down in, in Cardiff uh, at the Vale oh, Arena. mate, don't even talk to me about uh, that And, and this is, I had to... Don't I, even I, talk to me This about is a great... Got, got, you, you could talk us through what happened that week because I remember getting down there and, and as usual, you were pretty much the first person I saw. Uh, and you said, Sean McGoldrick's off. Um, the two Nicaraguans we had all the paperwork for, all the flights for. One of them missed their flight. Then they managed to get here. And then they've just been held at Bristol Airport. And McGoldrick had sold, like, 500 tickets? Yeah. So that week, um, first of all, it was Liam, Liam Williams' opponent. Um, he was meant to get on a flight, and he had a dispute with his old manager. And his old manager locked him in his house and wouldn't let him out of his house. Basically, he held him hostage. So I was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do here? So I had to find a new opponent for Liam Williams. Uh, I had two Nicaraguans come in. For Sean McGoldrick, and I think Meredith Thompson, Thomas, um, and then they got held in customs, and they wasn't allowed out. So between uh, Sean McGoldrick, done twelve grand to worth a ticket. So really, it was a quarter, like a third of the show. So and um, so they were held in customs. We had people waiting at the airport trying to get them out and everything like that, um, and they didn't get out. So obviously, them two fights off. Then the top rope snapped during the fight. Then one of yes, the gloves, I then that. one of the gloves uh, ripped, <laughs> and then the ambulance had to go. We had to wait an hour for the ambulance to come back before we could start again. It was probably the worst week of my life, to be honest. It's horrible. But that, yeah, I forgot about those two things. Yeah, the top rope snapped, and, and, and you're right, a glove did rip. And I remember sitting, sitting at ringside, and uh, I was with Mike Altamura, and, and just saying to him, I, "I've never like this is unbelievable. I've never seen yeah. all of these things happen All these at once. things happened in one week. I was just." I didn't think anything else could go wrong. But but when you get an opponent fall out of bed because his his manager in Central America has, has hostaged him or, or kidnapped him and locked him in his house, Matt. I mean these the, people would think we're making this up, but this yeah. is these are real but things that's boxing. That that's just normal boxing world, isn't it? I know you, you you couldn't make it up. You couldn't make it up. No one's imagination would be good enough to make up the real life stories that happen in boxing. You got I mean you got every cowboy. Yeah. And his horse in boxing, do you know what I mean? Like from, and I mean, some of these cowboys actually penetrate the top level. Believe it or not, you'd be amazed so at de- some of the stories you hear. Dealing with some of the like the foreign agents and that, they're all against, they're all f- against each other. You get obviously about three or four in Barcelona. The fight, some of the fighters are with him one week, and then the next week they're with him. So they're all in competition with each other, fucking blocking things and stuff like that. You're always in constant. For, like constant arguments with fighters, with uh, tra- trainers and um, agents now, who's got who fighter? Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just the maddest game in the world. I mean, I've said it to Andy loads of times, the, the, the chaos of boxing, which sometimes you think, if you didn't have the chaos, it'd be so much better than this. But I think in, it, I think in some ways, it's, it's that chaos and that kamikaze-ness that people are intrigued with. You know, it's the characters around it that makes the sport, the business, yeah. what it is. You know, it's... Um, you know, it, the skullduggery, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's its own little drama show, isn't it? The yeah. fights are great. It's like the, EastEnders. The, the stuff full, going on in the background. It's a full-time EastEnders, isn't it? Yeah, totally. So, just as an example, uh, Carlos Corrion was the, the Mexican heavyweight. You, you, you basically got over it, was, you'd sorted it out. So, how, yeah. when, you, when you come to recruit an opponent like that, uh, for George Fox, a pretty short notice that too. I mean, how does that happen? How does it work? Oh, Who well, do you I've, call? I got a phone call like last late last night saying, "Look, he's missed his flight." Um, but how did you get hold of him in the first place? How, oh, how did you? The, I, that was through an agent. Obviously, my, my matchmaker's Mervyn Turner. So Mervyn got him through an agent. And they, they they spent two thousand pounds on a flight bringing him from Mexico 
over to here and then he was going to go back to Spain and stay in Spain for six months and obviously used on other shows. So they was flying him over. So luckily we haven't lost the money, which is I'm quite happy about. But obviously the agent. But then he missed his... Two grand on a flight on a small hall show where there's no TV money. He's kicking the balls, isn't it? Massive kicking the balls. So... But um, with, um, with him, yeah, so he's missed his flight. I've gone, all right, no worries, we'll book you another one. And then he sends a, a picture of his leg with a bandage on. He reckons he's fell over in the airport. Like, it's, it's just never, it's, it's like, how can you make something like this? He obviously like, didn't want to fight. <laughs> but he said, he's, going, he's going to the extreme measures not to fight. <laughs> That's what he looks like, isn't he? He's actually, he's actually shat himself, isn't he? So, but he's a very handy fighter. He's just one to make, like, we just spoke about it. Like, things like that, you just... I mean, the Frampton thing, I mean, you just... I mean, what are the odds that that could happen? This thing in this hotel fell down and cracked his hand. It's just unbelievable. Well, he's he's, he's going to be here today. He's he's had two, hasn't he? Because there was Gutierrez slipping in the shower and then there was the the ornament... Um, falling on his hand uh, in Philadelphia, it, it really is. It's 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 unbelievable the, the kinds of things that can that can happen, and some of the stories that fighters can tell you, the, the yarns they can they can weave. But what is it like de- dealing with them on a kind of on a business footing? Because for us, it's brilliant because they're they're so open fighters. They're always up for a chat. They'll always let you come to the gym. Always available on the phone. But our relationship with them is ninety nine percent of the time, unless we say something they they don't like. It's easy, but but when yeah. you're actually having to get ticket money from people and get a get a read on how many tickets they've sold, uh, as opposed to how many they say they have, it's it's yeah. not it's not quite the same. Yeah, do you know what dealing with you, with fighters is just so many different characters. Uh, well, obviously with, with MTK we've got a massive stable, so um, some of uh, some of the characters you have to deal with, like you, you've got some. It's hard to say, you, like. It's, You've got some fucking proper divas, do you know what I mean? It, it's it is difficult. It's a difficult job, and you get people lie about tickets. Yeah, I've done this, and when they turn up, and they've only done this amount. It's, it's it's difficult to deal with, do you know what I mean? But you have to take everyone how they how they are as a person. You got to get to know everybody. So it's it's a very odd job dealing with, and some of them are some of them really. Sometimes they ring me up and go, oh, where do I get my eye test? Where, where do you think you get an eye test? Opticians. Oh, how do I book that? Or where do I go for a brain scan? At uh, a brain scan place. Or where do I get my blood test? Doctors. Like, some of them, uh, <laughs> they're fucking... It, it's a very, very difficult job to deal with the, the characters and that. Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! How was it on the other side of the fence when when you were when you were a fighter dealing with dealing with promoters? Because there's always two sides to to every story, and you've you've had experience in the small horse scene. I know Seamus did a bit of it, didn't he, your brother? Yeah. <clears throat> um. Yes, I mean, Seamus would have did, uh, you know, MTK Birmingham started yeah. off and you're relying on ticket sales, yeah. basically. And, you know, I mean, the, 
it was his thing. He was doing it really. I was helping him, I suppose, a little bit in the background. But, you know, it was like I was a show where you'd imagine if it was anyone else's show, I'd have been the guest. Probably would have got a few quid to go. It was costing me money. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was ending up taking two tables, paying for them and then giving the tickets away, you know, trying to support the thing. But, yeah. no, I think it's... Um, it's I, I appreciate... John Pegg, I, I, I used to always um, take a man. table off Great John Pegg man. because I know what he puts into it and I know that these people... Are, are the bread and butter of boxing and if you didn't have these people putting these shows on grafting yeah. and I'm on about these are struggle do you know what I mean because they're relying on ticket sales and you know if you clash with a big show or a football match it's like you know people that you know are supporting you normally it, it can be difficult so I, I think um, you know a lot of people do tend to try and help out uh, like I said I was generally trying to take a table off John or, or whoever, because because I know if you didn't do it, 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 it these people are relying on that. Yeah. But it's um, it, it, I was lucky really as a fighter though, because obviously when I turned pro, I was a good amateur, yeah. got a good deal with Frank Warren, so I wasn't really on a ticket deal yeah, um, so for tickets. Really I wasn't under pressure to sell mm. tickets. That said, I wanted to sell tickets because you wanted to have a big crowd and build a following. Um, I was always pretty reliable. Funnily, funnily enough, you know, my mum and my sisters they always they they often say this. Uh, you know, they really. I so said, we really miss the boxing. You know, even even the chaos in the house and the drunk. You know, I'd have a few mates as well selling tickets. And, you know, everyone would be falling out. You know, no, you've had that many other times. You know, and all this, you know, pointing the finger, blaming who's fucked it up. You know, trying to add up. Well, if you've had that many, that's the money. That's what you owe. No, but, no, but you give me three back and they had two. And then it's like, fuck, fuck. You know, Absolute you know, chaos. What a nightmare. Tickets are the, the one job you it's never, wor- ever want to be involved in. It's the worst part of boxing tickets. tickets. 100%. The stress. Every fighter says, you speak to any fighter or, or promoter, yeah. the tickets is the worst part of the game. Like I say, I never, I was never under pressure to sell tickets, but I wanted to sell tickets because so I wanted to build a following. And, and also, Pete, what happens is you've you got to be careful that, you, you know, Start as you mean to go on because once you start taking tickets and like you know say you take 300 tickets and you're selling two 300 tickets to your mates and family and a few other people like that they become that, that's how they uh, are programmed to get their ticket they don't want to then go on Ticketmaster because no. they're used to going around Kathleen's my yeah. mum's or my mates and yeah, do you know what yeah, I mean yeah. that's the way they get used to doing the tickets so like even even some of the big fights like down the line uh, you know in yeah some of the big tire fights there was like there was always people coming to the house picking up tickets but even though it was a major stress I know that my, my mum and a few of my mates and that they liked it you know what I mean it was like it was yeah. kind of I used to do the do tickets I mean? for uh, Ibert when he was um, doing, and we used to sell, sell 600 tickets and just running around the, the chaos it's just like the people don't want to depart they want to come but they don't want to depart with their money do they and then it's the after party so if I get the after if I buy a ticket and we're going to the party yeah 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 and then they're getting tickets they're going to get two more and I only need five and it's just like yeah. can I sit with them I'm on about like the, I mean I, luckily I was a little bit away from it but then you'd always know because like I say it's your mates and yeah. your Seamus used to do a lot of the tickets I think when I, when I was meant to box Darren Barker at the NEC and he, Darren got injured and pulled out I still boxed on the card I think Seamus had done something like 1200 tickets which is you know that's, that's quite a lot of yeah. shifting you know and uh, you know that, that's 1200 potential headaches do you know what I mean <laughs> you know and like so and then there was the after party so I mean that was uh, but, I, but I know that my mum and my sister they, all, they, they often say it's a Mr. Boxing even, even the tickets which we used to moan about 
Being part of something. Yeah, I'm missing the, the, the kind of the buzz, the excitement. People come to the house, collecting, talking about what we're going to do yeah. after and all that. But yeah, no, it is. Um, it's stressful. I think it's a lot easier for the for the bigger promoters. We're going to just say, Ticketmaster, StubHub, whatever. You deal with it. When we first started, with obviously MTK London and stuff like that, it was everything was based on tickets. We've now obviously we've got a few. It's a lot better. We've obviously got the ESPN and our Sky and stuff like that. So the shows are a lot bigger. But at the start, it was just an absolute chaos with tickets. It's just like you've got to make your numbers up, otherwise you're in the red. And it's just and it's so easy to be in the red. Yeah, and then if you've got a lad on there who's a particularly big ticket seller and he's off the card. Yeah. I think it was our second show in May 2017. We had like 14 on the card. Um, and I think a week out, we was down to seven. I was like, all right, should we? I spoke to head office. I was like, should, should we cancel it? No, nope, don't cancel it because them seven have trained and all that. So that's one thing we've, we've never actually done is cancel a show when it's obviously right near the time. Obviously just took the hit because... you fighters are still training and if they, if you're cancelling a show on fight week it's fucking soul destroying for a minute obviously you got you're as a fighter you should you know if you lose out on a fight week you know, after you've done an eight nine week training camp it's be oh, fucking killer and it, it, it did happen to me a couple of times you know for various different reasons but it's um yeah no it's, it's it, boxing's a difficult business for everyone yeah. not just the fighters i mean as a fighter you think you're the only person who it's hard for but there's a lot of work that goes in behind it. Like, you know, I, I do have an appreciation. I said, John yeah. Pegg's a good mate of mine. Yeah. And I've seen what John does. I, I don't oh, know John, what it John's takes. John's great. But listen, with John, he's, he matchmakes for everyone else as well. Like obviously, Steve Woods and all that. So he's con- he's, he does exactly the sort of amount of work I do on matchmaking as well. Because I do all the matching for MTK. And it's just, that's probably the worst job in boxing, matchmaking. Because if someone gets knocked out, it's your fault. If you, if you make a shit match, or why'd you do that? It's... It's so much pressure, and, and nobody wants to fight each other these days. Everyone just wants an easy, I want to get to 10, 20, and 0. Do you know what I mean? There's not many fighters out there at the minute that will fight anybody. I couldn't think of anything worse than being a matchmaker. Worst job in boxing. Well, John was telling us, wasn't he, that basically he'd come up with a list of fighters, and then he'd go through it, and they'd all get knocked back because there'd be various objections from the trainer, and, and then he'd see a fighter fighting a short time afterwards and maybe doing a post-fight interview on TV and saying, yeah, I'll fight anyone. And he's sitting there thinking, well, will you? Because I put three or four to you and, and, and you knocked them all back. He wouldn't, he wouldn't name names, but it, it, is, it is really hard. And talking about the tickets, you know, we've got Stephen Ward just sat over there. He shifts an unbelievable amount of tickets in, in, in Belfast. And you talked about John Wayne Hibbert. He had a great thing going, didn't he, with Tommy Martin and Tyler Goodjohn, all from the same part of the country, all sold loads of tickets. So just so people know how it works... On, a, on an early kind of MTK show, so, so a show with no, no TV uh, when MTK London just started. If I'm a young pro fighter, I've turned over. Uh, I'm decent. I had a decent amateur background. I come to Lee Eaton and say, uh, I want to get on your show. What would you say to me? What would you say to me that I needed to do in terms of sales and all the rest of it? How does it work? Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Look. 
Well, with, with a show, you obviously, with, with MTK, we've always done a ticket deal is, is where you pay for your opponent. So, obviously, if it's a four-rounder, you're, so you're looking at about 1,200 quid. If it's a foreigner, sometimes 1,500, 1,600 quid. But you pay for your opponent, and then you go 50-50 on the remaining balance. But, obviously, we, you, we want you to be hitting like three, a minimum of three grand's worth of tickets, which some, it, sometimes it's hard, but some... Like these, this week we've got four debut kids, and every single one of them sold more. Uh, one's done ten, one's done eleven, one's done twelve, and one's done ten and a half grand's worth of tickets. So that's their debut. So they've all done really well. And but some of them, some a lot of fighters do struggle. But you need to be hitting any show, any small hall show, to be able to pay for the opponent, the house money, and the, the, some money for yourself. You need to be hitting three, three and a half grand's worth of tickets which some, some people find really difficult, and I can understand, because you've got to try and get people to invest in you by coming to watch you. So. Especially when boxing's booming on television. You know, there's so much good fights, so many big shows on now, that people, it's hard for someone doing, say, a, a, a six-rounder mm. on, on, a, on a small hall show to justify 40, 50 quid when they can probably go to an Eddie Hearn show yeah. for the same amount of money, yeah. you know what I mean? So it, 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 is, got, it is difficult, isn't it? With fighters, like, see Dan Aziz, he, he markets itself really well. Every show, he'll have flyers printed out, and he'll put them on every single seat. Like, little things like that, he'll get, he'll get posters and put them all around everywhere. You, you, get po- no, you don't see posters no, like, on the streets no more, but with Dan, he does that. Do you know what I mean? People, you've got to invest in, in time into yourself and promote yourself to be able to do this. Some fighters just think, oh, I'll put a poster up on Facebook, that's it, people are going to want to come. They ain't going to. He's a good example, actually, because I was just going to ask you about fighters who, who are good but can't really sell tickets because obviously sometimes you'll, you'll take a gamble on them. And he was one because he, he had a good amateur pedigree, turned pro, tickets were a problem. He went to major promoters. They weren't interested in signing him. And you went to watch him spar and you took a punt on him. And you did too because, as I say, if you sign someone who doesn't really sell tickets, being good but not able to sell tickets is almost the worst position you can be in when you turn pro. Yeah, there's a lot of fighters out there that are, could be world champions, but they're not getting that the time off people because they can't sell tickets. Do you know what I mean? So with Dan, when I first spoke to him, he was like, oh, I don't know if I'll be able to do this. I might be able to sell 50. I said, look, we'll we take a, a chance and let's see how we get on. And his first show, I think he done about three... £2,800 I was like look just keep going keep going because obviously I liked what I, I, I felt like a good energy with him and stuff like that so I knew what character he was and stuff like that so it was a big pump but then now he's, he's going up and up and up and now he's, he's, he's got himself a following um, and he's doing really well obviously he fights for the English title tonight um, but yeah there is a lot of fighters out there that can't sell and won't get the opportunities which is the harshness of boxing. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you've got to. Um, everyone's a bit different. I mean, say, say for example, say you've got three different fighters there in your stable, and you know one doesn't sell a ticket. <clears throat> no, two two don't really sell tickets. One sells a lot of tickets. So the one the ticket seller probably sells enough to cover the other two. Yes. Now you might have um, out of the other two, so you, you definitely don't want the ticket seller getting beaten because once he gets beaten. You know, yeah, people lose the boys because people are buying into this. We never know where this journey could go. You know, they're undefeated. He wins again. Everyone has a great night, and it's snowballing. He's building up a following. He's a popular kid. Maybe his family are popular as well. 
and, and, that, and it all keeps moving so long as he keeps winning. Then you might have two guys, one who's particularly uh, got good potential. So you, you know he's not, he's not bringing any money to the show, but you think you like where this kid's going, so you're going to keep him. You're going to be careful how you match him because you want him to win because you, you believe he can go far in the sport. And then the other guy who's you know, maybe not going to go far, but he, he, he's... He, you know, he's, um, he's always in good fights. Yeah. Well, then I suppose you have to have the conversation with him where he has to go into a 50-50-ish fight yeah. so that at least, you know, it's a great fight on the card. So, all right, maybe you lost money putting him on, but you brought value to the night. Do you know what I mean? So all these guys that come to see their pal win, yeah. but they don't want to see 10 wins for the blue corner and no, they'll all yeah. be not entertaining fights. But if they see... You know, their mate wins. They don't care how he wins. He just wins. Yeah. But then they see, you know, the other guy who, who was in an absolute barnstormer on the undercard. They, they enjoyed that fight. You know what I mean? And so it's, I think it's, you, you don't always necessarily, I, I think as a, as a manager and, and a small hall promoter, and if you're invested in a kid, you've got, to, um, you've got to know what you're dealing with, right? This is the ticket seller. He brings a lot of money in. So we need to keep him beat, unbeaten as long as we can. Um, we've got a kid who, doesn't sell tickets so he's not bringing us money he's costing us money but we think somewhere down the line he may get on to uh, do a deal with a Frank Warren or an Eddie Hearn and he become a TV fighter we can make our money as a, man- as a manager Or and then there's the other guy who doesn't really bring any money and he, he's a cost he's an expense again but you know what he knows the score he knows he's happy to take 50-50 fights and he's always in entertaining fights so he's bringing value to the show in a, in a different way maybe not mon- mon- monetary, monetary but he's bringing value by excitement every, every fighter is different don't they some obviously some sell absolute shit loads of tickets so they're always on the big shows and that but you've got to obviously look at um, obviously who you, you want to invest your time into um, some fighters that, on MTK they don't really sell tickets but they're very very talented and that's why they get opportunities so that's a good thing with MTK they will give everybody an opportunity what's the record what's what's the record for tickets sold for a fighter of yours on a on a pro boxing show what sold yeah um, I don't know Joe's, I know Stevie Ward sold 120 grand's worth of tickets for Frampton's at Windsor Park I know it was a massive show for Belfast and stuff but that's some going 120 grand worth of tickets but I know I know Cole Cole sells absolutely f- loads like obviously War- I know War- he's not with us but Warrington sells personally about 4,000 and stuff like that so it's, there's a lot of big sellers out there um, we've got a boy make, or like the four boys make, one of his, he's making his debut in a four rounder he's done 12 and a half grand worth of tickets it's, it's unbelievable so. well, Warrington's a good example isn't he because we're talking earlier about fighters who still will provide that personal touch and, and sell them um, themselves and he, 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 he still does that I wonder what the difference was between working on the unlicensed circuit and working in pro boxing many differences? Um, yeah you have to deal with the British Board of Control that's the biggest headache <laughs> nah, listen, they're, 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 listen the board are, are very strict but something they've got to be is people's lives isn't it but the unlicensed scene obviously 
I'm, you're, you're your own boss, do you know what I mean? You work for yourself, you make your own rules up, basically. Um, but a lot of the fighters, they used to only sell like 20, 30 tickets. So when you go into the, obviously, pro game, the, the ticket sales are a lot different. There's a lot more pressure on the fighters and stuff like that. But um, some of the unlicensed shows, if you do it properly, and obviously with me, I used to pay a lot more money for like, I used to have the ambulances, doctors and stuff. Some, some shows don't have all that. I... I used to spend a bit too much on things, but I wanted to make it look as professional as possible. Um, I've had some great nights, proper good nights. People like, used to have better nights than they do pro shows because obviously they're all 50-50 fights on the unlicensed team because they're all fighters fighting each other. So when people go and watch like small hall shows and you've got fighters 1-0, 2-0 fighting journeymen, you know who's going to win, do you know what I mean? So that's, um, that's a lot of the difference. People enjoy unlicensed shows better than pro shows because of the excitement sort of thing. But obviously the bigger fights and the bigger shows are a lot better sort of thing. Did you flip over onto the pro side then because of the conversation you had with MCK or was it something you were going to do anyway? Yeah, with, with MTK, I, I just wanted the opportunity. Like, obviously, they said about doing shows. I worked the first six months, I worked for free. I didn't get paid a penny because I just wanted to prove myself. So I said, look, I want to prove myself. Um, so, and that's what I did. And I've put everything into it over the, obviously the, over the last three years. You see the growth of MTK and the opportunities I've got. I've, I'm thankful for, do you know what I mean? I can't thank them enough. But obviously, I've grafted me, me absolute cods off. Um, this like even this year, with the, I think I done uh, done some numbers the other day. I think we've promoted 350 fights with 45 titles, with world title eliminators, world title. We've done WBC world title in Kazakhstan. Um, we've done obviously 15 WBO Euro, European fights. So it's been an absolute mad year 2019. But it's just the growth and stuff. It's, it's been brilliant, really. And you were at the convention as well, weren't you? The WBO convention. Yeah, yeah, I went in, to Tokyo in, in last Tokyo. week. I mean, yeah. how, how, how was that? Because I remember talking to one of the one of the boys a few weeks ago. It might have been Paul or Anto, and uh, and and them just saying, "Oh yeah, no, Lee's Lee's um, Lee's just come back from the WBO convention," and a big kind of like grin lit up their face, and they're just like eaten, unleashed on Tokyo and the WBO. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of like an image to conjure with. How did you find it? Yeah, no, I know what, it was. It was brilliant. It was a great experience. Um, it was good to be obviously in the same room with Lomachenko and Nue Lenares. Um, so no, it was it was a great, great uh, obviously experience. Got some great work done over there. I've got uh, fighters in some good positions. Hopefully, um, a lot of, a lot of stuff happening in 2020. But it was it was a great experience to be in Tokyo. Um, the mad it's a mad old place, very very mad. Um, trying to explain what you want for food is quite frustrating because they don't understand no English out there. But um, no, it was good. It was a nice. The time difference absolutely ruined me. It's nine hours in front, so for the last week or ten days, I've been absolutely ruined. So, when you go to something like that for the first time, how does it how does it work? I mean. You're there to to form some relationships or cement some existing ones, whether it's on ones that already exist on behalf of MTK. But did many people there know who you were personally? Do you know is, what? is it quite intimidating almost? You think, yeah. right, I'm going to walk you know into what? this room I was really and ne- I'm going to go and talk to you, you, you and you. Whether you like it or not, that's what's happening. Yeah, I was really nervous about going because obviously I've never been to one before. I didn't really know what I, in the ratings meeting you have to stand up and, and lobby for your fight. I was like, this is, I want... 
I don't know, uh, Stephen Ward's number 11. I, I, I want him to keep his position at number 11. He's got a big fight coming and stuff like that. So you've got to stand up in front of the room with all, obviously, all top rank GGG promotions, all the German promoters, like Matchroom and stuff like that. So it, it was, I was really nervous about doing that. But obviously, I was, as soon as I got there, I was walking through um, reception and some Japanese man come running up to me. He was like, you're, you're Lee from MTK Global, aren't you? And I was like... Yeah, mate. Uh, he's like, nice to meet you. Um, can we have a chat? I was like, yeah, yeah, no worries. Like, getting recognised when I was walking through like, things, quite mad. But um, we had uh, lots of meetings in there, um, and it was quite successful. Got a few new fighters wanting to join and stuff like that. But it was mad how many people, how well-known MTK Global is around the world. Because... As soon as I were in the, um, people didn't know who I was. But once I stood up in the meeting, said Lee from MTK Global, straight after, the amount of people that come up and give me their number, like business cards and stuff like that, um, wanting to mm. obviously have a chat and do business with MTK. Um, the name MTK Global is huge now around the world, which is quite unreal, to be honest, if you think about it. So I think people will be really interested in this. You talked about the ratings and having to get up and kind of justify your, your fighter's position and, and yeah. make a plea or a case for them moving up the order. So just just take us through that kind of, you all go into a room, you all sit down, there's the WBO top brass up there, because people want to know this stuff. Yeah. You know, how does it... When you go in the room, it's, it's like a, um, a U-shaped table and it's got the, all the directors and the vice presidents, the president of the WBO. So the whole board of the WBO is sitting there like... And obviously, it's just like chairs. And you, you, uh, I was sitting next to Carl Moretti, the vice president of Top Rank. Obviously, Matt knows Carl. And then I was, and then next to him was Tom Loeffler. Next to him was Alec Krasen. Is that from um, K2? And like obviously, all the Japanese promoters. It's, uh, I'm sitting in there with all the top dogs around the world, and. It's, it's quite mad, like obviously, and then you have to, like they say, super like super featherweight, and you have to stand up and go, you have to put your hand up, obviously, and then um, you stand up and talk about why your fight, why you want your fighter to be. I want my fighter to be moved up into the top five. He's number ten at the minute, but he's had a good win against blah blah, and I want him to move into the top five and look for obviously an eliminator for next year. And that you have to lobby your case towards everyone. Um, obviously, with there was Lawrence the code come to the cruiserweights, and they um, said obviously they got vacated, didn't it? Guess they got um, stripped, and obviously Matchroom stood up and said, "Look, I want Lawrence Coley to be for the vacant title." And then they voted around the table, all the board voted, and they went, "Yeah, no worries." And then they granted that. So some fights got made out there, and then but what what you're doing? You're lobbying to get your point across and then at the next ratings meeting they'll obviously go through that and then obviously in the next ratings you'll see if you were successful with it sort of thing it's interesting that it's really interesting stuff because that's the kind of inside working to the sport that very few people uh, very few people get to get to see so I, I guess it, it is a quite a surreal moment you walk into a room and there's like you say there's Carl Moretti and, and there's Tom Loeffler from from all of these huge organizations and you must just have to just take a bit of a moment to remind yourself that you're yeah. there on merit. Oh, it's massive! Like it's, it's mad. I, I have to pinch myself sometimes. Give, been given this opportunity to go. I know it's, some people go. Oh, it's only a convention, but to me that was massive because, like, I've, I've always wanted to go to one. I've always looked at it and thought, oh, I'd love to go to that. Um, it was, I think, it was brilliant to be around all that people. Do you know what I mean? And then we even sat after the 
went to the gala, which was all the, like, the awards and all that. Then we sat in the bar after with um, David Higgins for Joseph Parker's manager. Had a good chat with him. Obviously, he's absolutely cranky. Do you know what I mean? But mixing with people like that, and obviously they know, now that now they know who I am. A fat kid from Essex, but <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's good. Um, it's, it's a good experience. Um, hopefully, I'll be going to next year, which is in P- Puerto Rico. So a nice bit of sun. Obviously, the IBF one next year is in California. Um, so yeah, hopefully, I get a few nice places next year. Matt, we talk about this quite a bit, don't we? But you know, boxing in so many ways is is down to it's down to relationships it's down to personal relationships as to who you deal with and who you trust uh, and conventions that is it's very old fashioned but that is literally what it is it's getting up face to face with people pressing the flesh uh, and having conversations and leaving them with the impression that you are the kind of person that they want to deal with so you can see why you can see why MCK would would pick some would pick Lee because promoters are that, that's their business that's what they do all the time yeah I mean people are more likely to do business with someone they trust you know and, and they're going to trust someone that they've got to spend time with got to know a little bit yeah. built a relationship with had a couple of transactions maybe sent you phone them for a kid to, to box you know the kids come in on the weight that he said he got paid what you said he'd get paid in, in fall on time the flights everything was booked and you think you know what that was a good experience I'll deal with that person again you know, and if you if you have your pants taken down and you don't you don't get paid, or you know what I mean, the kid comes in heavier than he was, or late, and you know, then that, that was a bad experience, and you're probably less likely to do business with him unless you're stuck, maybe. But as soon as the more trans business transactions, the more yeah. fights you make, the more you've dealings got, you have with someone, trust, you? You, build that, you build that trust. You know, not yeah. just that, not just that he is a good fella, but he's he's reliable and he's competent, and you get to trust their opinion. Like with matchmakers, I know. Um, certain managers and certain matchmakers you know it's word of mouth yeah we it, nowadays it's easy with box rec and different things but you still you're going on a, a stat but sometimes stats can be misleading but if you know someone that's seen that kid box and you ring them up and go this kid is uh got a kind of 50 50 record but he's got a couple of wins on there and your mind go, now he's a good kid he's, he, he had those losses early on but he was struggling at his weight now he's moved up or he's got a new trainer and now he's gone five and oh so you think oh well, maybe my kid's not quite ready for that then but you wouldn't someone wouldn't be able to do that if they didn't have that relationship yeah. with that person do you know what i mean so i think in 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 the business of boxing um having good relationships having integrity being honorable you know not be, being an honest person, it, you know, it, it's gonna, you know, it takes ten years to get a good name, ten minutes to get a bad one. So you've got to, you've got to always be straight, be honest. Yeah. What you say you can do, make sure you can do it. Yeah. Otherwise, that, don't say you can do that's it. That's one of the Just things. Be honest, and then you got to pride yourself on it as as a promoter, as obviously a manager when you talk to fighters and that. You can't make false false promises. Do you know what I mean? And that's the thing with MTK. We've got a, a very very good name because what we say is what we can do. We wouldn't ever go, oh, yeah, we'll get you this fight when we know we can't get it because you're just making yourself look like a dickhead. Do you know what I mean? So that's one other thing. We have got um, we have got uh, built up a good name over the last five, six years. Obviously, me for the last three years. Obviously, I, I won't... Some people don't answer the phone to people and stuff like that. I'll always answer the phone, even if it's bad news. You, you've still got to talk to that person and explain it. Do you know what I mean? So... It's just it's making you. You got to make sure you've got a good name in this business, and you got to build relationships. 
that's something that always interests me is that all, a, a, any promoter I think if they were to show you their back you, you'd see some scars between those shoulder blades where people have stuck the knife in at various yeah, intervals 100%. And we were talking to Caller a few weeks ago and, and, and the way he explained it he was talking about a situation he had with um, I think it was with, with Marco Huck but it was there was no real animosity there on his side it's in the past now but he did say that his rule was um, you can fuck me as he said but you can only fuck me once he said, everybody gets fucked, but you can only fuck me once. Yeah. Is that something you would concur with? Yeah, listen, you got to, in this business, it's full of dogs. It's full of absolute dogs. There's people always trying to get in with you to better themselves. And obviously, the better MTK's doing, you get you get the fake pe- more fake people around you, do you know what I mean? So, uh, if someone does, does fuck you, that's it, do you know what I mean? You only get one chance, don't you, in life? Otherwise, you're just a mug, basically, isn't you? So, have you? Would you say that you're kind of your antennae? Your, your, your. Have you got a, a good? I don't know. Built-in sixth sense for what people are like, because I, I think you kind of you need to be able to read people. Yeah, pretty you, you got to be able to read people. Some people like they do suck you in. You you think oh, but you get you get really well with them and stuff like that, and then you realise that they only want you to better themselves, and obviously. You just you, you find people out. Everyone gets found out, don't they? But there is there's plenty of dogs in this game that will just want want to better themselves rather than y- y- helping you. Yeah, and plenty of victims as well. You yeah. know, poor me and this and How come it's always you? Yeah, it's always you. Know? you yeah. <laughs> How come you must be the most unluckiest person in the world? You know, there's plenty of them as well. Oh, mate. So it's, there's a lot of fighters like that as well. Oh, this and that. And he wants you to give some names. He wants. Nah, you to listen. <laughs> I can't. I can't be naming people. I can't be naming. No names and shames. I've got no brandy in me. If I had a bit of brandy in me, then I'd be. I'd be shouting some names. Well, as Callum. <laughs> as Calla said, he will never do a podcast at night. Uh, no, definitely uh, not. I think that's true for quite a lot of people. So, what I mean, what, what, what? were you planning to do before you started doing this? I'm just quite curious. I mean, what was the... Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. Listen, I never expected any of you to be doing this now. I, I literally love my job, do you know what I mean? I, I, it ain't work to me. I wake up, sounds weird, but I go to bed thinking about boxing, I wake up about boxing. I, I'm on my phone till 11, 12 o'clock at night, still things. My missus is absolute sick to death of me and boxing. She used to like boxing. I used to go to, like, take her to the boxing. I used to, I went up to Liverpool, watch James DeGale versus Paul Smith. You know you're going to be divorced in about two years, don't you? That's just a given in the business of boxing. Probably. <laughs> Like she's at, like, I used to come, she used to come to all the shows with me. Used to come to the shows like my, my unlicensed shows and that. Now she don't even want to be around it. She absolutely hates it. But listen, she's happy for me. She supports me. Do you know what I mean? But um, 
I was doing asbestos. Just today. wants her husband back. <laughs> <laughs> like, like my little boy. He's like, oh, daddy, you got to go work. How, how many sleeps? How many sleeps? Oh, five sleeps this week. And then I said to him yesterday, I went, I'm home for about 30 sleeps. He went, oh, daddy, that's a big number. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm going to have you at home. Like, things like that. I miss him all the time and stuff. But like, I, love, I love my job, so it, it ain't a job to me. I just to get to travel the world, travel around and doing something you love. It's unbelievable. I said it to you, didn't I? And they said, there's no... Uh, we, we had Frank Smith on the other week, and it's like, I said, you know, you can't... There's millions of pounds being earned, millions and millions being earned in boxing. And, and then there's some small hall shows, you know, the, you, mm. you, your margins are obviously yeah. massively smaller, but, you know, there are, at the top level, yeah, multi, multi-million pound deals happening. And so, in the business of boxing, you can't go to university and do a degree in the no. business of boxing. You've got to so learn on the job. You've got to learn on the job. You've got to have a bit of common sense. You've got to be able to deal with people. Yeah. You've got, you've got to be able to find solutions to problems, of which there are many. Yeah. And, and, and many Every that you day. don't see coming, as we said, about the things you know you've got to deal with. Things that you know you don't know how to deal with, but you know you don't know it. And then there's things that you don't even know that you don't even know. Do you know what I mean? But like, yeah. it's, the only way to know is to get out there and to do it and make the mistakes, learn from them and try not to make the same mistake again. And eventually you build relationships you, you, and you, you learn the game, you learn the business it's, over time. It's a learning game. Like, it, I, I still learn things. Like Sometimes now I, I sit there thinking, fucking hell, I, I was just sitting with um, someone earlier and they went, I told you this two years ago. Why didn't you listen to me? I found out for myself. Do you know what I mean? Like Things you learn all the time. Like, it's, it's, just, it's just a non-stop learning. Like, obviously a fight I never... Never stops learning, obviously, other like, tactics and stuff like that. So he never stops. But even in this game, you'll never, ever stop learning. You'll always come over a situation where you ain't experienced before. So it's what it is. So what, what's the kind of... Is there a kind of sense of brotherhood between, between promoters? I mean, are other promoters helpful when, when you're starting out? Or is it a case that you would ever <laughs> feel like you could ask for advice or would people really um, want to give it? I mean, how does that work? Do you know what? It, it's, it is, they're, all, they're all nice to your face. They're all nice to your face. But listen, I get on with a lot of... I get on with everybody. I, I don't ever... Like, I don't dislike any of the promo, other promoters or anything like that. I actually do get on with everybody. But there's a lot, obviously, um, egos out there and that. And people... Obviously, people see success and don't like it. But, um, like, we, with MTK, with, with myself and that, we work with everyone. Like, obviously, we've got fighters with Eddie, Frank, Top Rank. We have fighters on other shows. Like, we, Key Menace Brown was going to be on Mickey Elliott's show. The other day. We, we work with absolutely anyone. It's not a problem. We ain't, like, we ain't in it to just, oh, we're MTK. You, you have to... Like, our fight. Whatever the f- helps the fighter... It's whatever's best for the fighter is what, what we do. Do you know what I mean? So it ain't about what's best for the show, right? the, the companies, but what's best for the fighter. Yeah, but I also think it's different as well with MTK because they're, they're, very, they're in a very unique position because they're, um, they're probably the only management group. But they're a management powerhouse. You know, they've got 150-ish. 188. 188, yeah. 100, I was going to say 120 MMA fighters. You know, fighters. So, you know, if you're... a uh, a big time promoter, you know, with Eddie Hunt and Frank Warren, top rank, Sowerlands, whoever. How can you not deal with MTK? You have to have a relationship with them because they're managing nearly 200 fighters. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Tyson Fury, Carl Frampton, good fighters and smaller fighters. So it's literally on every level that they have fighters. So, you know, in terms of 
if you're a promoter, that means business, and you're in you're in the, the business of promoting. You you can't not have a healthy relationship with MTK because they've built up such a, a stronghold now. Yeah, no, I agree with you there, hundred percent. So I reckon we've got maybe ten more minutes. We generally hit an hour, DJ, and your phone's been going every now and again, so no, that's we right, can't, it's we can't keep bad. you too long. But let's just let's just finish with a few a few kind of best ofs if you like these aren't always that easy to answer so if you need a little bit of time that, that that's no problem what would you say has been your career highlight so far you can have a few yeah. um, one of the career highlights was uh, Mick Conlon at the Feeler Festival uh, in August uh, 9,000 people um, when I was standing in the ring when Mick was doing his ring walk I was just looking around thinking wow do you know what I mean uh, obviously co-promoting with Bob Arum um, it's just that that was probably a career highlight um, but like things like even like tonight it'll be probably one if Dan, Dan Aziz wins the English title tonight I know I keep going on about Dan but we, we've got quite a good relationship right? if he wins the English title tonight I'm gonna, that's going to be a, a great thing for me because signed, we signed him from the amateurs and bought him and gradually got him up um, obviously working with this year with Jay Harris obviously when we signed Jay Harris he had one fight then fought for the European title then won the IBF Intercontinental and now he's just been called to be to fight for a mandatory title a mandatory challenger uh, for the IBF world title so his next fight is going to be a huge fight things like working with Jay like Chantel Cameron I've promoted her for the last couple of fights her next fight she's just been mandated for Jessica McCaskill so that's got to be mad. That's the, her next fight. So like working with fighters and building, helping build them up and being part of their careers is good. But obviously selling out the the, the Fielder Festival, um, and your, when I first, the first your call show we done, I think it was last year. Last year we um, sold out your call. It was you couldn't even move in there. It was about I think we had about thirteen fights on. When Sir Osgood for Mikey Saki. I was there. Yeah, he I was, was covering there, that yeah. one. And I, I stood at the back and looked around and thought, like, we did this, you know what I mean? So it was July time, wasn't it? And yeah. it was a great fight. It was really hot, like it always is in yeah, the summer. Very in York hot, yeah. no, but I love that. It's great. You know, people are, you, you know, it's just the, the sweat's kind of running off the walls. And it was a brilliant fight, a, a, a great final round turnaround from, from Mikey Saki. And he was a really good story. Yeah. No, it's it great. A great fight that was. But, like, another thing is he's working, like, with MTK, with like the team, it's like we've got like friends for life. Like me, Ian Richie's like obviously probably one of the busiest men in MTK. Um, like me and him are like like we've got like a brother. Like we're brothers now. Do you know what I mean? We we literally we speak every day. We slate we slag each other after a show. We go we just like, don't talk to me for a week and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Building that relationships up with the people in MTK. It's like a big family. So that's another, obviously, career highlight, meeting people and being around a great thing. I mean, for me, tonight we're doing the like, heavyweight MTK golden contract and you know, I'm not uh, involved with MTK anymore, obviously, I sold it, but I did start it, so you know, MTK, Mac the yeah. Knife. Yeah. So, uh, Josea Burton came out to Marbella for two weeks in 2013. Yeah. Uh, to spar with me, I fought Lamar Ross in Atlantic City. He was six foot four middleweight, yeah. and of course Hosea being six foot four, and I knew him, and I knew he was a good, a, a decent kid. So I got him out sparring for the two weeks. So you know, I was, I was and I even knew Hosea when he was an amateur because obviously Joe Gallagher trained him, and I was training with Joe. So 
I would love to see Hosea, and it's not that I've got any personal preference, but I have a personal relationship with yeah. Hosea. I know I trained with him, sparred with him. I would love to see Hosea come through, win this tournament, and get, get a, a contract with, yeah. with Match Room or Top Ranking, and, and go on. And, and because really, I feel sorry for Hosea because he's <laughs> he's lost one it's fight. A who who it was, needs him? It was a fight he was winning. You know, Clearly, do you know what yeah. I mean? He goes, gets, well, we covered that fight, we, didn't we? we? And, and he went into the final round. He was four rounds up on one card. We discovered later, obviously, two rounds up on another and level on another. So he had to stay on his feet and avoid losing that final round 10-8. And he won. And a lapse in concentration. He lost all the credit in the world to Buglioni for the hanging in there and making it happen. But he has been... Talk about boxing being snakes and ladders. Wow, he has been brutally punished for that, for that lapse. No, it is. And... and for everything that you just said, every one of those reasons there and there, and because I know him and I like him, yeah. you know, listen, I'm impartial and I'll be calling the fights you, to you see do, him. You do uh, build but, up relationships with fighters yeah. and you want to see him do well. Some of the boys like, like, we deal with, and you watch, you watch them come from, from, like, from the bottom and come up and like, win titles and that. It's a, it's a great like, success story and you, you enjoy watching it, don't you? You do, and there's some, there's some journeys... And some people you'll you'll enjoy dealing with more than others, and it doesn't yeah. mean you're going to do uh, any less of a job for the other no, people. Course, but yeah. you just you know you come most their favourites, don't people, they? Everyone yeah. has their favourites. So um, yeah, like I say, we, me and Andy, we were going to commentate on the fights later, and we were partially. It makes no, you know, like I say, I'm not working in management or, or training, so it makes no odds to me, us who wins these fights. But I would love to see Hosea. Go on and, and, and you know do something. I think he's a decent kid. I think he's got good good talent, and, and he has only really got that one blemish on his record in a fight that he basically had won. You know, yeah. so yeah. I mean, but that's what this tournament's so great for as well. It is. It is. It gives opportunities. It gives opportunities to, to everybody involved in it. So, what about any any real low points? Any stages where you thought, God, I don't know about this. It's it's tough. This. Um. To be honest, it's only uh, when shows fall apart and stuff like that, you think, fuck this, you know what I mean? Like when you, or if you've got a great main event and it falls out and stuff like that, you think, fuck this. <laughs> but no, not, not really low points so far. But um, when, you're, when you're doing shows week in, week out, like this year, like the, I think this is the 28th show for me tonight. So, and you get worn out and tired and, and you, you think fucking this, this game's hard do you know what I mean but ain't no really low points it's, it's more, more enjoyable parts than anything so what about and this is the final one what about what about comedy because there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of moments in boxing just generally where you just think something is unfolding before my eyes here and I can't quite believe that, it, that it's happening they're almost kind of if I don't laugh I'll cry moments yeah Oh, there's plenty of them. There's plenty of them. <laughs> I can't really stick one to obviously say, but there's plenty of them. I've, I've sat there sometimes, my head in the hand, just think, just, just laugh, just laugh. But um, just, just stressful. Shows are stressful. People don't realise the stress on shows. You know what I mean? So, well, it's just every, every day I have one of them moments. I think. <laughs> well, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. This has been great fun, uh, and we'll definitely do this again because just so much happens in boxing in such a in such a short space of time so as i said at the start this is probably our last one before christmas and thanks for all the feedback on the saudi episodes by the way people seem to enjoy the extra ones we did out there it was it was great fun for us 
Uh, and thanks for, for the support over the course of the year because we, we love doing this uh, and it's not going anywhere, I can assure you of that. A couple of thank yous uh, to a couple of specific people who have helped out enormously over the last few months. One is our, is our technical guru, Darren Rees, who, uh, who hosts his own podcast, British Boxing Talk, which is a good listen, so, so, so check that out as well. All the promos that you see, uh, anything kind of clever that you see on Twitter or Instagram, is done by Darren or by Claire, who who helps him out with his social media. And and without that, then I don't think anything like the same amount of people would know about this podcast as as do know about it. They've both been a really big help. They've been a massive help, a massive help, and and just totally on the same wavelength as well. Really good humoured, nothing's ever a stress. And yeah, I mean, people know that it's not me or Macklin. I mean, people compliment us on, on Darren's promos all the time. And the conversation goes exactly the same every time. They'll say to me, oh, yeah, that's a really good promo you had out for, for Macklin's take. I really enjoyed that one. Then there'll be a bit of silence. And I kind of count it down in my head as a five, four, three, two, one. Yeah, it's not you doing it, is it? And I'll just say, no, 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 it's not me. It's not me. So, uh, uh, so thanks for those two. They've been brilliant. And have a good Christmas, everybody. And we will catch you again early in the new year. Get someone sneaking round the corner Could that someone be Mac the Knife There's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know Where a cement bag Sports Social Podcast Network with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.